proceeding from the great commission given by Jesus to make disciples of all nations, the early church exploded and countless souls were made new by the atoning work of Christ. Dead hearts were made alive and churches sprouted up throughout the world. As a need for clear and concise biblical interpretation arose, the Reformed Confessions of the Faith were written and still have a major impact on the church today. The Confessional Collective desires to see healthy, theologically sound churches planted and on mission for the Kingdom of Christ. Welcome to the Confessional Collective. Welcome to Confessional Collective, where truth meets mission. I am one of the hosts, Zach Fisher, along with Aaron Carr and Chris Santola. What's up, guys? Hey, man, what's going on? Everyone's shocked right now that I just did that. (laughs) Aaron's not dead. He's sick, but he's not dead. Saving my voice. <laughs> he's here. He's saving it. He's going to use it sparingly today. So uh, so what's been going on in the society and in the news this week that we want to kind of mention some crazy stuff a little bit? I think one of the big things we got to talk about is uh, air travel. Yeah. And so just a word for you, Chris, if you if you ever decide to come visit us here in Michigan, I can tell you what airline not to fly. <laughs> that would be, <laughs> That would be United <laughs> Airline. You'd be a bloody yeah. mess. You might get punched in the face and <laughs> drug up by your ankles. <laughs> you know, I shouldn't. Yeah, I'll be actively avoiding that situation. <laughs> yeah, dude, I'm digging all the memes right now going yeah. around uh, with the uh, flight attendant with brass knuckles. <laughs> there was like a here's a United training video, and it showed like a clip from some movie of someone like slapping someone in the face and like shaking them. And I feel bad because like I shouldn't like I, I talked to my wife Sarah about it and I laughed and she's like, you shouldn't laugh. It was really sad. And then I saw the actual footage and it was really sad because it's this older guy who just gets like owned and drug out. And it was depressing, but it's, well, don't feel too bad for him. He's going to be a very rich man soon. Right. That's true. He'll probably end up owning United. That's true. If he's lucky, he'll be calling it divided. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I saw a Southwest commercial like somebody made it says southwest we only beat united's prices not you (laughs) (laughs) wow oh it's getting legit now man that's funny oh like all the late night comedians are gonna have a field day with it i'm sure it's gonna be one of those jokes that like doesn't die for a super long time what was it what was it that happened with pepsi everyone's talking about you know pepsi had this pr nightmare and uh and that's one of the other memes i've seen is Pepsi saying, man, we just are having a horrible time with our PR. And then it says, you know, United says, hold my beer. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Pepsi's just stupid. I, you <laughs> right. know. What they're trying to do, I don't know if you guys uh, are familiar with this, but back in the 70s when I was a child, um, there was a Coke commercial that basically tried to capture the movement of um, – of kind of the the peace movement that was going on at the time. And so everybody's singing and they were kind of passing around a Coke, yeah. you know, and I think Pepsi in their, in their mind was, that was what they were trying to achieve, but they kind of uh, went after the black lives matter and uh, it, it just didn't go well for them. Went, a, went after them, went after them. Like, well, no, I think they were trying to do like a, uh, a spoof in the oh. sense of a positive. Um, it was, it was, you know, they're giving a, a police officer a Coke, but it was, or a Pepsi, excuse me, don't give Coke a bad name. <laughs> uh, but they're trying to give a police officer a, a Pepsi. And it just, it wasn't well received. And I think it was done poorly. And I think a lot of things in our culture, we you, people want to capitalize on too quickly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's like the white Bronco back from the OJ days. You know I mean? It's just, you don't make something, you just don't make jokes <laughs> yeah. about for a too while. Soon. You know, yeah, too, too soon. Too soon. Too soon. Yep. So, yeah. Let it breathe. You know, but uh, other things in the news that kind of, 
you know, obviously we have the bombing of, of Syria as the airport there. And, you know, it, there's a lot going on over there. But one of the things that uh, struck me was the Coptic Christians over in Egypt. And obviously our show is the Confessional Collective and how cool it was to see the uh, the Coptic Christians. They're standing and united and actually uh, reciting the Nicene Creed. That was pretty powerful, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. at least from my perspective. Uh, again, it showed the unity and what confessionalism does in bringing that unity in the face of, of terror, mm -hmm. you know, so, um, not to get all serious right away, but uh, that, that's a pretty powerful moment here. Yeah. It's encouraging really Yeah, to see that. And so. it's like kind of a, not a wake up call, but it kind of puts things in perspective for people here in our country who like, and I don't want to minimize persecution because some people do face it, but not really at that level, you know? And so just to see other people who are standing strong in, in a long line of, uh, Christ followers, it's, it's really encouraging to see. Absolutely. So we got a uh, fun discussion today, huh? Yeah. It's all the caged uh, Calvinists are ready. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, no, it's gonna here make we my, go. It's going to revive my caged stage rage. <laughs> <laughs> so, Zach, why don't you walk us through it, man? Yeah, well, it's funny because, like, I don't, know if, I don't know if you guys have, like, a, a segment of your, of your denominations that, that really push back against this, but I definitely do. And so this is, like, a... A passionate issue for me because it's a conversation that I find myself having frequently with people and it's not usually heated but it's 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 sometimes it's irritating just because of the frequency that it comes up um, and I, I don't think it's you know some some areas of scripture I think are hard to understand but I don't think this is one of them I think it's pretty clear and so we're obviously we're gonna be talking about effectual calling just kind of going in order through the confessions through the Westminster and through the 1689 and so this is kind of like our our next one um, and then I know Chris has some Dort stuff that we need to talk about as well, because that definitely <laughs> hits on this um, issue as well. But effectual calling, or if you want to look at the eye, could, and I, the could I say, Chris, that is actually rooted from you? Yeah, we borrowed our yeah. stuff from you. We did. We boiled it down. Yeah, boiled it down, cleaned it up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to say made more precise because the, all the Dutch people are going to hate it. Throw some yeah, hate yeah. mail, but they're going to be like stamping their wooden shoes on the ground. <laughs> oh no! I'm just kidding. If you ain't Dutch, you ain't much, man. <laughs> but yeah, so if you want to look at it as the I and tulip, the irresistible grace, and it kind of overlaps with the U really as well, un unconditional election. But uh, so, what do you guys? When you guys hear. Uh, rebuttals against this, and I know this is kind of going backwards. Normally, we talk about this towards the end, but when you guys hear rebuttals against uh, effectual calling, what scripture passages are people throwing at you, or wh where do you think people are normally coming from with that? I think usually it's a response that kind of comes more from uh, emotion, and usually just coming against uh, some of the prior points of you know the the five points of. Calvinism or tulip or however you want to go ahead and define that. Uh, and this just ends up becoming one more thing that they're going to push back against. But, uh, you know, typically I hear things like Matthew 23, uh, you know, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, you know, how often I would have gathered your children together under my wings, but you are not willing, um, you know, which obviously that passage he is not saying that the children are not willing. He is saying that the leaders there of the of the Jews, the religious leaders at that time, were hindering people from coming to Christ and hearing Christ proclaimed. Uh, so it's kind of a misinterpretation of that passage to say that that would deny the doctrine of uh, irresistible grace or effectual calling. Uh, also, you know, over in the book of Acts, 
I'll hear people say that, uh, yeah, as Peter says, you know, you, you stiff-necked people, you know, always resisting the Holy Spirit. They'll say, well, see, obviously the Holy Spirit can be resisted. So what's all this talk about irresistible grace? That doesn't make any sense. That can't be biblical. And we would say, no, no, no. That's the whole point is that we are always resisting the Holy Spirit uh, in an unregenerate state, the the unbeliever is always resisting the Holy Spirit. The miracle is when we are regenerated by the Spirit of God and find ourselves not resisting. That's yeah. what we're talking about, and that that is uh, something that is a sovereign work of God, and that when we are regenerated, that we are irresistibly drawn to God, that yeah. that calling, that inward calling is effectual. The uh, the 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 non-repentant, the the non-converted, the non-regenerate. Uh, this individual finds God um, detestable, mm-hmm. and I'm not just talking about a God because we we have idols, we're idol factories. But the living and true God, the God of the Bible, the God who's truly omnipotent, omniscient. Um, this is the God they find truly um, uh, disgraceful in their eyes. Uh, and, and what's interesting is the battleground is we, we understand that to truly understand what the scriptures describe God to be forces us to come to terms with who we are, right? Isn't that mm-hmm. what Calvin yeah. uh, initiated? Um, one of the favorite verses oftentimes, and I think you're right, Chris, when you say it's more of an emotional uh, argument initially. And a lot of times it's not even scriptural. Yeah. It's, just, it's just that can't be true. I can't accept this. Um, and then they'll quickly look in their concordance for verses where it talks about the will. Um, and one of the favorites that I always get thrown at me is, uh, God is not willing that any should perish. Mm-hmm. Clearly, God wants to save man, but he can't. Well, right there's the problem. The God you've just depicted is a God who's not powerful. Yeah, he's not. He's not omnipotent, and therefore that God is a weak God, and therefore he's not the God that the Bible describes. And they say, well, but but that's what Scripture says. Okay, but let's walk through what Scripture does say about who God is, and and the necessity of His interaction in our salvation. And there's a whole, we got to take all of Scripture together, mm-hmm. not just a random verse here or there. And I think that's a, a major thing that is often overlooked. I think uh, for me in my like particular at my church and conversations I have I don't really see anyone disagreeing that we must be drawn to the father you know if we're going to come to Christ that uh you know no one's going to come to Christ unless the father draws them everyone's affirming that the issue is who's being drawn is everyone being drawn or is it only a select few or the elect being drawn and and they'll go to verses uh they'll talk they'll they'll quote you know Jesus when he says that if he's lifted up he's going to draw all people to himself Right, and then, but I would respond. Well, not everyone comes to Christ, so not all people are coming, right? And so, why why is that? And so, what do you guys? How do you guys answer well, that? The first question is, why is it in the Star Wars movies that the tractor beam only seems to pull one ship? Yeah, right. Not all the ships. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody has a problem with that. Nobody's nobody's crying unfair. Uh, mm-hmm. No, but in, in the re- <clears throat> in the reality, when you look at this, I think you're right. I think that is. They, they have God who pulls us halfway. Now we got to come mm-hmm. and finish the deal. But again, that makes a very um, weak God. And I think, you know, specifically dealing with the passage that you were just talking about um, over in John's gospel, where uh, Jesus says, you know, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. I think that's John 12, uh, that 
right before that, there were Greeks coming to him, and the Jews were very upset about that. And the whole context there reveals that when he says he's going to draw men, he's not talking about all in the sense of every single person in the world. He's talking about all kinds of men. So it's really a contextual uh, issue when that argument gets brought up. Um, So that's how I deal with that one. Yeah, that the elect are made up of all men, all people from all over. It's not just Jews. It's Jews Every and people, Gentiles. tribe, tongue, and nation. Right. <laughs> I think one of the things we got to keep in perspective, and this is not something I um, come up with on my own. There, there's a little handy book called Tulip by uh, Dwayne Edward Spencer. And in that book, on specifically on the topic of irresistible grace, he refers to um, getting the order of power correct. And what he means by this is that there is a first-rate power in Scripture, and that is God. He is truly omnipotent, uh, omnipresent, um, omniscient, and and therefore he alone is the the first-rate power. But he reminds us that there is a second-rate power, and the second-rate power is not man. Mm -hmm. It is Satan. And Satan... Because um, remember, man is made a little bit lower than the angels, right? And it, it, it does talk in in great detail about the fact that the the greatest uh, created being in the sense of, of of power is is Satan. He is the prince of the air of of this world. Uh, there there's clearly strength and might that he has. Uh, he is able to afflict man. Uh, obviously, he is has to as the second rate power submit to the first rate power. He's only allowed. And that's where we see in the book of Job, which mm-hmm. is a book we always go back right. to, right? But <laughs> Clearly, he has to get permission to do what he's doing, but he does have power, and he and he has power to cause havoc. But then after that second-rate power comes the third-rate power, man. And if you get that order messed up, it's really going to wreck, you know, cause havoc in your understanding of, of how things work. And too often, we, we put a man ahead of God, and that's a very man-centered theology. But if you look at things properly— what happens in, in, in Scripture tells us everywhere, it, gives, it tests this. Well, one very clear passage is 2 Timothy 2.26, uh, that we're taken captive by the devil, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and he's talking about those who, who truly uh, are, are, are not believers, obviously. And, and in that, they're taken captive by, by Satan. So the second-rate power has power over the third-rate power until the first-rate power says mine. Right. And now that second rate power no longer has, has, has ability. And so the way he kind of deals with this, which I think is very helpful in our understanding, is that the, the, um, we're either going to find uh, Jesus irresistible or we're going to find Satan irresistible. And for most of the world, well, they don't think that they find Satan irresistible. It's that they, they, they just do not find God attractive, the God of the Bible attractive at all. Jesus then, is not truly attractive. And then there's only one other option. Right, right, right. Yeah, there's not a neutrality but, there. But once the Holy Spirit comes and does His work, I mean, Jesus is just irresistible. I mean, to give John Piper some love there, I know uh, Les and Tanner are going to be talking about Christian hedonism soon. But there's clearly um, this idea that um, that 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 Jesus is is they're just passionate mm-hmm. for Him, and now yeah. their their passion is Jesus, and yeah. that's because of the work of the Holy yeah. Spirit. Right. You know what is such a great. Uh, point that you're making there is a lot of times I think when we talk effectual calling uh, and God's regenerating work and uh, his enabling grace and all those kinds of things, 
we're dealing really with uh, the side of human nature, fallen human nature, and that being overcome and, you know, the doctrine of regeneration. But uh, where you're going with it in the sense of power just made me think of Ephesians chapter 2, where he says, And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And so it's not just a nature issue. Uh, It is also a power issue, like you were saying. And then and then you don't get moved from that group of people, which are sons of disobedience, people that are following the power of Satan until, and if you read a little further down, Ephesians 2 verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, mm-hmm. even, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And it goes on from there. It's a super long sentence. Right. But, uh, but you get the idea that that <clears throat> transfer of power cannot be wrought in man. That the higher power, like Aaron pointed out, has to transfer you from a kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of his son. Right. King, you know, how that works. And that's the victory that only God can bring. Right. Because he's the first-rate power, which yeah. is what Spencer is saying. You know, what's amazing is, the, really, I love the gospel of John. When we're talking doctrines of grace, I mean, John's gospel is just packed with verses that so clearly speak to these things. I mean, obviously, John 644 mm-hmm. is kind of, you know, the go-to passage when we're dealing with uh, some of these doctrines, where he says, no one can come to me. Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Man, that verse is so pregnant with doctrinal uh, meaning. Uh, you know, He's saying, you you know, you have total inability. No one can come to me. It's just not that they don't feel like it. Yeah. Uh, they, they can't do it. They don't have the ability to come to him unless the father who sent him draws that one. And then you have, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the one who is drawn, or, or we would speak thereof effectually called, uh, will be raised up on the last day. And that's where we get the sense of irresistible grace, that this is a sovereign, uh, undefeatable work of God. I think uh, one of the things that I want to point out for people who are struggling through this and they don't like it, like Aaron said, like it's not even, sometimes they have scriptural arguments, which I disagree with, but sometimes it's just a knee-jerk, like an emotional reaction. And what I want to try to get those people to see is we're not just talking about a small area of doctrine here, because this gets, this gets really close to um, the issue of the Trinity, even, and the unity in, in, within the Trinity. Uh, like, if you, you were reading John 6, Chris, just a minute ago, and a few, a few verses prior to that, you've got the Father and the Son in agreement. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. And then verse 38, I think, is key. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And so then, so then the, the question has to be, is there unity in the Trinity? Like, do the Father and the Son agree on the people that, they're, that the Father is going to give to the Son? The Son is going to save those people, and the Spirit's going to regenerate those people? Like, because if not, if there's a universal calling and everyone is called inwardly by the gospel, yet they have the power to not respond, um, and only those who choose are the ones that are regenerated by the Holy Spirit, well, then there's not unity in the Trinity because you've got the Spirit right. acting out of step with the Father and the Son. And it, it gets into some deep waters, but that's really crucial. And what are you really saying about God at that point, that he doesn't agree with himself or that he's not powerful enough to right. 
transfer those whom he chooses, you know, it's yeah. it gets pretty hairy. I think yeah. one, of the, one of the things that we don't want to miss here, and you've already stated it a little bit earlier, Zach, is that all of this is is is, is these these tulip that all builds together. Mm-hmm. You you yeah. can't have the I without the L, right? <laughs> and you can't have the L without the U, and it all begins with the T. And, and if we get the T out of whack, if we really don't think man is depraved as he is, as dead as Scripture says he is. Um, we're in trouble. And uh, Chris, I think you gave an, a good illustration when we were when we were off mic about Spurgeon and the idea of, of what deadness is. And it, maybe that's a good time to kind of give that illustration now. Yeah, uh, I was talking about uh, that Spurgeon had this illustration of uh, honey and that, you know, if your taste buds are dead, that you can put honey on your tongue and it doesn't matter that honey is sweet. You cannot discern. Like nothing is going to tell your brain this is sweet. It's just not going to be sweet to you. And nothing you can do is going to change that. But should your taste bud suddenly be made alive, no one has to tell you that honey is sweet. Uh, you just know it. It's just there. And it, it, it just becomes sweetness to you. And in, in the same way as the gospel is preached and falls upon a dead heart, a spiritually dead heart, um, you know, even like we mentioned there from Ephesians 2 a minute ago, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that uh, no, nothing that uh, nothing we do is going to, nothing anybody says is going to make God desirable to us. Uh, to, to the unregenerate person, God, the true God, is always going to be detestable. And uh, as the gospel falls upon an unregenerate heart, that is what the response is. But when we are regenerated, when the Spirit of God does that work uh, of regenerating our hearts and taking our heart of stone, giving us a heart of flesh, suddenly nobody has to tell us that Christ is sweet that he is ultimately uh, supremely desirable of, of all things. Suddenly, we just know it. He just is. And uh, which I think, you know, kind of lines up with some of Jesus' parables of like, you know, the guy who goes and sells everything he has to buy that field, mm-hmm. uh, that suddenly he, he has to have it. That, uh, you know, all of that ties into what we're talking about. So, with... so one could actually say that's a pretty sweet illustration. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, you know, on the same, on the same line of where Zach was going, too, uh, of just talking about the logical kind of uh, consistency with the doctrines of grace. Ephesians 1 is the same thing. Yeah. You've got the Father choosing, the Son redeeming, and the Spirit applying, it would be pretty strange if the Father in eternity past chose or elected those for whom Christ would die. Christ goes and accomplishes redemption, and then the Holy Spirit can't apply it? That suddenly it's... Unless he has permission. Unless he has permission. So, I mean... It doesn't make any sense. Your but I think it's important yeah. to see that not only are these things logical, but I think we've already been establishing here pretty thoroughly that it's this is not only logical, it's biblical. Yeah, it's something that's driven from Scripture. We're not taking something that somebody from the 
17th century said or whatever and and just imposing it on the text like this is true i'm convinced that this is truly just drawn from the clear teaching of scripture and not just john and not just ephesians but just the through the entire the entirety yeah. of the bo- of the body of scripture i just have one question you guys maybe can help me with this this is you know this was the verse that i think was 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 shared with me early on in my development um in in these these uh, these truths, but it comes from John six forty four. No one can come unto me, no one can come unto me, unless the Father who has sent me draws him. Mm-hmm. I mean, how much more pl- plain and simple can it be? Right, <laughs> right. I mean, you talk about tractor beams, yeah, right there, and you're given the source. And I think it does go back to what you're saying, Zach. That well, God pulls us some of the way, but right. he, you know, but he doesn't. He brings us. I've heard it described that he brings us to a point of neutrality where we have a genuine choice. So we we are dead in our sin, but every single human being will experience a time where they're brought to this point where they somehow are neutral, and then they they can make a free choice. I don't want to believe in a God who doesn't bring me home. Right. Because I will get lost. That's scary, right? I will get lost. I think MacArthur has been memed about 1,500 you know, that's not even a number, but 50,000 times. <laughs> that was dumb. Anyway. It works here. Yeah, I think I think MacArthur has been memed countless times where he it's like a, an angry picture of his face, and he's saying, if you could lose your salvation, you would. But there's a lot of truth in that, you know, that it's not really um, up to us to keep ourselves. It's not really us up to us to sustain ourselves, and it wasn't up to us to even come into the fold in the first place, really. Yeah, I mean, it, I know it's true for me. I mean, that's why, you know, as we talked about all those, the T-U-L-I- and yes, the P right. even falls in. They're all they're all necessary because apart from me being held in the the hand of Christ, I I would fall away. Mm-hmm. I I know me, and so I needed that tractor beam to pull me all the way home and to keep me. I think the way yeah. p- people try to get around John six, what you were talking about, uh, Aaron, is that that they will say that yes, no one comes to Christ except the Father draws him. But then they'll make a qualification and they'll say he's drawing all people, and then they'll quote what I said earlier about if, you know, I'll, I'll draw all men to myself if I'm lifted up. But the issue is John 6 goes on, and it's on the last day, all those are also raised up. And so nobody who says that everyone is drawn is a universal, I mean, no genuine Christian is going to say, well, I'm also a universalist and everyone is saved. So you know not everyone is raised up. So you should be consistent enough to know that there's a, there's a problem and you're not following through with that passage. Because right. if all are drawn, then all should be raised up. If all are, if yeah. all are effectually drawn, I should say. Uh, Maybe one more passage on this one uh, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, where Paul there says to the Corinthian believers, for consider your calling. So we're talking here inward, effectual calling of the gospel. Um, this isn't just the outward preaching of the gospel, but he says, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And and this is the key, verse 30. And because of him, I think the NASB even translates it more literally, and by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 
uh, man, when I first realized what that passage was saying, it blew my mind. Because uh, he's pointing out it's not because of who you are. It's not because you had any kind of advantage. God chose, God chose, God chose. And it's by his doing that you are in Christ. Um, again, just really clear biblical passage on this subject. Without an effectual calling, we would have a small reason to boast then. We would have a tiny little bit of boasting to do. And a lot of people would, don't want to own that, but that's really what they're saying because they're saying, yes, I couldn't have come to Christ unless the Father drew me, but he drew me, you know, 99, not, they wouldn't even say halfway, he drew me 99% of the way, but then that last percent, I chose Christ. So let and, me pat myself on my so back. So let me, yeah. And some some of them straight up have that attitude. And But even some of the people who are humble, they're just not thinking about the way that sounds when you say that. When you say, like, I've heard people in their in their testimonies before when they're either evangelizing or sharing it with a church or something, they'll say, you know, I I made the best decision of my life to follow Christ. And we already talked about in our free will uh, episode, I think, you know, last week. Mm-hmm. Yes, you did admit you did choose Christ, but we got to get down to the root of why why that choice happened. And so if you don't if you don't qualify that and you just say, I chose Christ, that that is kind of a boasting thing. You know, you are kind of saying that. Yes, he drew me to him, but then I chose him, and you're you're really just urging people to make the same choice you did, and instead of instead of giving God 100% of the glory, saying that he effect, he effectually drew me when I was a child of Satan, you know, and I was under Satan's power with no power of my own to come to Christ, no desire to come to Christ, God actually chose me, and so to me that's more of a God glorifying testimony if you put it in that way. So, I'll tell you what, fellas. You know, we're talking a lot about Scripture and kind of establishing this whole doctrine of effectual calling. Let's take it to the confessions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> where, where are the confessions at on this? What, what do you guys—what's what what Westminster and 1689 have to tell us? Well, they're very similar, just to throw that out there. <laughs> and they—just uh, well, the, the overview. So cha- it's chapter 10, and then the first section. I'll just read it. It's not very long. Those whom God hath predestined unto life, he is pleased in his appointed and accepted time effectually to call by his word and spirit, which that's super important, um, out of the state of sin and death in which they are by nature to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ, enlightening their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God, taking away their heart of stone and giving unto them a heart of flesh, renewing their wills, and by his almighty power determining them to that which is good and effectually drawing them to Jesus Christ, yet so as they come most freely, being made willing by his grace. I love the fact that the scripture, or the scripture, the confession, oops, right? Uh-oh, uh, yeah. you just gave yeah. people a bunch of ammunition right, with that right, one. <laughs> right, 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 Well, that's because those confessions are based upon scripture, right? Right, right, right. But the fact that the, the confession here so clearly reminds us of the means. There, God uses means. Yes. And, and his primary means in effectually calling you is the word and the spirit. Yeah. And and the Spirit is using the Word. Um, faith cometh by hearing, hearing the Word of God. We've said that a thousand times in the, in these podcasts, and I and I really hope people come back to understanding the most important thing you can do in your home is read the Scriptures. Mm-hmm. The most important thing you can do in catechizing your kids is make sure the Scriptures are central. The most important thing you can do in your own enrichment is keep the the Scriptures before your before you. Um, I mean, how important it is, the role the scriptures play. We, we pray that our kids, uh, we pray that our spouse, we pray for our own walk with the Lord. But the scriptures are the means, right, right. That, that, that he promises to use. And how the Holy Spirit uses those scriptures to soften our hearts, 
to draw us home, to, to, to bring about repentance and gift us with faith. I mean, it, it's so important that we remember the role of Scripture. Yeah, I think a lot of times when we get some pushback against effectual calling, it's usually because people think that just in, in a vacuum, God is just forcing people and oh, all of a sudden your mind. And while that can kind of happen, like with Paul and, and certain situations like that, that's not the normal way that people are converted. Normally, it's a process. Normally, people are slowly, like you said, Aaron, softened by Scripture. They, they sit under the preaching of the Word. They hear the reading of the Word out loud. And that slowly chips away. And, and then their heart is softened and, and, and then they're regenerated through the proclamation of the gospel in Scripture. And so there's always a means by which people are effectually drawn. And I love that point, too, that uh, the, the, the scriptures are the only means by which God has promised to work through the, the proclamation of Christ from all of scripture, uh, that he has promised to work through that to bring people to faith in Christ. Yeah. You know, and I see people get so caught up in, in so many wonky ideas of how they're trying to reach people and, and you know, somehow minister to people apart from the proclamation of the scriptures, the teaching of the scriptures. And uh, it, it just makes me stand back sometimes and just wonder, I mean, man, what are we doing? Yeah. You know, God has promised to work through his word. Why would we neglect that? Why would we downplay that and think that we could accomplish more through our own means? He, um, he says here, or says here in the confession, it says, the renewing of our wills. Mm-hmm. Don't miss that, right? Because that renewing of our wills, it goes back to the free will, that it is our will we are choosing, but it's a will that's been brought back to life, freed from the bondage of, of Satan. Um, so the renewing of our wills, and by the almighty power, determining them to that which is good. And, and the scales fall from our eyes. Yeah. And we see the delight in Christ and the joy in Christ, and we're drawn there. Again, tractor beam, drawn there as the Spirit is just renewing the heart, renewing the will, uh, getting rid of that heart of stone, and and just producing in us an understanding of truly what is good. Mm-hmm. And, and and it's why you see those smiles of those people when, when you're preaching, and you can look out and you can just see the delight, the joy. Well, that's not of themselves. That's a gift of the Holy Spirit. It goes back to the honey analogy, like what Chris was talking about. It's effectual calling isn't God cramming honey down your throat, you know what I mean, and forcing you to eat it. It's like Chris pointed out that Spurgeon said, it's, it's that your taste buds have been made alive and you, li- you genuinely like honey now. You know what I mean? It tastes good. You want it. You're not being forced to consume it. And it's the same thing with Christ. You, effectual calling is giving you a new will. And, and then you are freely coming to Christ because he's desirable now to you when, mm-hmm. when before he was detestable, like we've already mentioned. If I could well, flip—oh, go ahead, Chris. I was just going to say, I was going to throw some cannons of Dort in here for us. Yeah, you uh, should, you should. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, third and fourth uh, point of main doctrine, Article 11 on the Holy Spirit's work in conversion says, Moreover, when God carries out this good pleasure in the elect or works true conversion in them— God not only sees to it that the gospel is proclaimed to them outwardly and enlightens their minds powerfully by the Holy Spirit so they may rightly understand and discern the things of the Spirit of God, but by the effective operation of the same regenerating Spirit, God also penetrates into the inmost being, opens the closed heart, softens the hard heart, 
and circumcises the heart that is uncircumcised. God infuses new qualities into the will, making the dead will alive, the good, uh, the evil one good, the unwilling one willing, and the stubborn one compliant. God activates and strengthens the will so that like a good tree, it may be enabled to produce the fruits of good deeds. Well said. Yes. <laughs> can can you you can't make Dort any better? No. I mean, right. yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, Westminster Confession actually at the very last um, uh, number four section number four it says and, and this is the exact opposite. Okay, we just got done talking about all the great things as, as Dort was was uh, showing what is happening in the heart. Listen to what Westminster says to the non-elect, others non-elected. Although they may be called by the ministry of the word, you know, many are called, but few are chosen. Yep. They are called by the ministry of the word and may have some common operations of the spirit. Clearly what is depicted there in what I'll say is Hebrews uh, five and six, yet they never truly come unto Christ and therefore cannot be saved. Much less can men not professing the Christian religion being saved in any other way whatsoever, be they never so diligently to frame their lives according to the light of nature and the laws of the religion they do profess. It just so clearly says, even though they're under the same hearing, mm -hmm. the same preaching, and, and even though they at times show glimmers of it, if they're not pulled by that tractor beam, which is you know the work of the Spirit, it, it, it's not going to happen. And, and it, it's not true. It's, they're not converted. And so it can't be that they're pulled halfway. You're either pulled all the way or you're really not pulled at all. Right. And that's so clearly what, what is being, what's being said there uh, by the Westminster Divines. Nice. There's obviously one section in the Westminster uh, that is a, you know, a touchy one for, for many, and it's, it's section three. And it's on this idea of elect infants. And obviously, if we believe in the doctrine of election, the idea of, of uh, elect infants is one of those that surfaces, obviously, just from natural uh, understanding. But it says elect infants dying in infancy are regenerated and saved by Christ through the Spirit, who worketh when and where and how he pleaseth. So also are other elect persons who are incapable of being outwardly called by the ministry of the word. I take this third section in a very positive way. Yeah. The good news is that, yes, God has said his normal means is through the ministry of his word, but he is free to do how he chooses in, in, that, in, in making that election mm -hmm. uh, known and real uh, to these infants who die and those who are not capable of being outwardly called by the ministry of the word. And we, you, you look at a passage like with David, there, he, he, he does horrible things, mm -hmm. uh, steals another man's wife, commits murder, and yet he has the absolute confidence to say that when his child dies that Bathsheba is carrying, that he will see him again. Yeah. The absolute uh, ability with confidence to say that, and you find that in the encouragement I, that he understands from a sovereign God. Mm -hmm. And I think, so the Westminster Divines give us a clearly that Scripture does give us hope um, for those infants who die in infancy, for those who maybe uh, can't understand the, the preached word or the reading of the word, that God in his sovereign ability 
uh, through that tractor beam <laughs> of the Holy Spirit, I keep calling it that, yeah. is he's at work. And, and, there's, and, and that's good news. It is good news. I was going to say Dort uh, in section 1, article 17, uh, says on the salvation of infants of believers, since we must make judgments about God's will from his word, which testifies that the children of believers are holy, not by nature, but by virtue of the gracious covenant in which they together with their parents are included, godly parents ought not to doubt the election and salvation of their children whom God calls out of this life in infancy. And I think one of the things that we have to be careful with is if you're going to be a person who says that all infants are saved and elect, and 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 I, and I tend to lean that way that all infants are elect, but you have to be careful of of why you say that is, and it's not because we're saying that they're innocent, because we know that they're not, and it's not because uh, e- even in a certain way it's not because they don't have an because they have an excuse because we know that no one has an excuse, um, but it has to be only and the confessions are very careful with that because they say. Um, elect infants dying in infancy are regenerated and saved by Christ through the Spirit who worketh when, where, and how he pleaseth. So it's, it's not because they're not in Adam, you know, and that they're neutral, because we know that they're not neutral, they're, they're still guilty, um, but we know that somehow, mysteriously, Christ is able to save them outside of a normative means of hearing the Word. It, that's a great point, Zach, and I think one that um, we should spend a few minutes kind of deciphering. Mm-hmm. Um, the the Westminster divines use two different words. Uh, they talk about original sin uh, and then they talk about actual sin. So original sin is a sin we're born with. Actual sins are the sins we commit. We do, yeah. we live out, but babies are born with original sin. It doesn't take very long. And we begin to see the actual sin that they commit. Right. right, right. right? Um, but, but one of the ways we can testify to the fact that original sin is even with infants is the fact of death. Of infants, right, right, and I think sometimes people miss that. But it, but it, it's, 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 it's the 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 wage of sin is death. Right now, we're not saying those babies have committed actual sins yet, but they are born with a disease called original sin. We're all born with. We're all marred with. I think I've shared this before. One time I preached and and I preached the, uh, a text that definitely taught this. And somebody in the congregation came forward. And said, I just can't believe that. I can't, I can't accept that something so innocent, so beautiful, you would call guilty. I'm not call, I'm telling you what scripture <laughs> right. calls it, right? But yeah. I know it's a hard doctrine, but you bring up a great point, Zach, when we say, we're not saying that they're going to go to heaven simply because they don't, they're not sinful. They are. Right. But it's by God's grace and his irresistible grace, his irresistible pursuit of them in the spirit's work to do what he wants to do as he draws them. Uh, through Christ to mm-hmm. to the Father. Yeah. So, great discussion. Um, I guess we would really be remiss if we didn't spend some time talking about how this applies. Now, the specific question I want to kind of pose for you guys is: I'm assuming most of our listeners are probably already convinced of this view um, of irresistible grace. Mm-hmm. So, what are some warnings we can give to them? Uh, in, 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 in just making sure that they're uh, um, handling this doctrine well and how it also may be encouragement for them in, in the work of, of mission as far as evangelism and other things. I would say if you're a person who knows this doctrine and, and you're convinced of it because you think that it's what Scripture teaches, then make sure that when you evangelize people, you're evangelizing consistently with the doctrine that you say you believe. So when you're evangelizing people, it's not that we shouldn't be persuasive or we shouldn't try to convince people. Like, of, of course we do, and of course we should try to be 
you know, accurate and, and convincing and passionate when we evangelize. But n- never forget that the effectual calling is going to come through the proclamation of the word in 99.9% of the situations, you know. So, so although you know that doctrine in your head, you know that God is going to effectually call people inwardly when they hear the word preached. Um, make sure that that's what you're doing, and, and you're not just arguing back and forth with unbelievers. You know, make sure that you're giving them scripture, pointing them to the scripture, encouraging them to read through the scripture, and putting your your confidence where you know that it should be. Yeah, I think earnestly, you know, and genuinely giving people the gospel and proclaiming Christ to everyone uh, is important. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like we said, yes, God is responsible for the effectual call. We are responsible for the outward call. Uh, we go out and, and proclaim Christ to everyone. Um, we don't know who the elect are. Um, that's God's business. Um, but we go out and fulfill that, uh, that calling of giving the gospel to everyone. And I think that's important to remember. I also think it's probably important that uh, if you already believe this, that as people will raise arguments against it, uh, to make sure that you're staying focused on what it is that we actually believe. There, there's so many bad, you know, straw man type arguments out there against the doctrines of grace, against uh, irresistible grace, effectual calling. Uh, that it's real easy to allow somebody to come at you and let them define terms and define the argument in a way that really misrepresents what we actually believe. And so we want to make sure that uh, we don't allow that to happen and that we're actually dealing with what we do believe and not trying to defend a position that we don't actually believe. So uh, I I think that's important too. my, My encouragement is use the word. Yeah, the word is where God has promised to uh, be uh, uh, drawing His people effectually, and the good news is we don't have to convince them. Amen. It's not right. up to yep. us. That's a freeing truth. It's yeah. a freeing yeah, truth. Yeah, it is. I know it's one we we repeatedly stress, but that's good news. It does not depend upon me. Yeah, and right. I, and I know because we mentioned John Piper earlier, but I know he's he's said before that the fact that he knows that there are elect people out there doesn't. Uh, hinder him from preaching because he knows that there's a means, you know, and it, it gives him confidence in his preaching that he's not wasting it because he knows that when he throws the word out there, there's going to be a, a response that's going to happen because God has promised to draw his people through the preaching of the word. Yeah, the people are going to be uh, finding Jesus to be delightable. Yeah. Yep. Right. So great conversation, fellas. Um, I appreciate both of you and the perspectives you bring. Everything from. Uh, uh, the Dort to uh, the 1689 <laughs> to uh, the beautiful Westminster. <laughs> Were those given in like a hierarchy or? <laughs> <laughs> Take it as you want. I'm not going to say anything. Uh, good stuff. <laughs> Have a great week, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Confessional Collective Podcast. For more information and resources, please visit confessionalcollective.com. And be sure to like our Facebook